One and two Samuel are not books about Samuel, but about a man after God's own heart. Now, one Samuel gives us Israel's first king, Saul, but who turned from the Lord, and God gave us King David. But before kings and king makers, the story begins with a wife. The story begins with a certain man who had two wives. And in a story with so many great characters, so many of the wonderful ancient characters of Israel's past, why begin the book with Hannah? And who is Hannah? We know she's just simply an ordinary wife. Maybe perhaps not the best wife. I mean, why else would a man want another wife? But if you look closely at Hannah, you might just find one of the greatest Christian faithful witnesses in all the Bible. That's a bold statement. And you might be tempted to think, I'm going to preach a dare to be like Hannah sermon. Dare to be like Hannah. It actually practically writes itself three points. You got to go like Hannah. Be like Hannah. Go to the Lord like Hannah. Get on your knees and pray like Hannah. And give your thankfulness to Hannah. Or excuse me, to God. <laughs> but why would I want to make a sermon all about you? Why stop and stay on earth when we can ascend to heaven itself and learn about someone greater? God is great. God is great sermon truly writes itself when you study God's word because God in his glory in salvation is the context of scripture. And that's how I want to start this book this morning with God's greatness. God's gracious sovereignty. That's the title of the sermon. God's gracious sovereignty. Actually, I put the title of the sermon, The Lord of Hosts. Same thing, as we will see. God's gracious sovereignty. And as we study God's gracious sovereignty in this text, we are going to learn eight lessons. I have something for you. Eight lessons, eight ways to live under God's gracious reign. And so without further ado, let's begin our study of 1 Samuel, beginning verse 1. There was a certain man. Verse 2, he had two wives. Now, well-off men in the ancient world often took second wives when the first was barren because of the necessity of children in the ancient world. And so he takes this second wife, and then he had these two wives, and the name of one was Hannah, that's who we're studying. And then the other wife is Peninnah, or Peninnah, and Peninnah had children. And so the Lord had blessed Peninnah with children. The Lord has given her these children, but not Hannah. Hannah had no children. Hannah had no children. Now, it wasn't evil in this day to take a second wife. What he's doing here in taking the second wife and so forth, Peninnah would actually be the second wife. This is not an evil act because the text is really clear that 
that Elkanah is a godly man. Verse 3 says, Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. You see, this man never missed worship in Jerusalem, which is impressive. This is the day of the judges. Remember, we studied Ruth a few weeks ago. We know well the day of judges, right? Those were the days when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But not this man, not his family, for he and his house will serve the Lord. And he used to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. Now, Lord of hosts, you could underline that, highlight that verse or that phrase, Lord of hosts. This is a, a, a phrase we're, we're quite familiar with in scripture, Lord of hosts. It means Lord of battle. But this is the first time this phrase is used in Scripture. And it will be used its second time in this same story, uttered by the mouth of Hannah, the Lord of hosts. Now, the Lord of hosts means Lord of battle, but in this context, the Lord of hosts is really Hebrews chapter 12. It's the Lord surrounded in Jerusalem, the golden the Lord in Zion, surrounded by his festive gathering and innumerable angels. The Lord of hosts is Lord of worship. His people must surround him in worship and give glory due his name. The chief end of creation is to surround the Lord with worship. Lord of hosts worthy to be praised. And sometimes on earth, when his people gather, there are those who do not truly belong there as we see in the same verse. And there were two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phineas, Phineas, were priests of the Lord. Now we're going to learn that this priestly family were not truly God's people. These are either wolves, we're being introduced to some wolves in sheep's clothing, and we'll find that out later. But what this does, this, this reminds us of Genesis 3.15, right? And two types of people in the world, according to Genesis 3.15, there is the offspring of the woman and there's the offspring of the serpent. And we, he, we see here in this text that the offspring, the serpent seed, if you will, can corrupt church, can corrupt worship. So we do well to remember to guard our church with our faith. And the Lord has given our tradition, our confessions, and we guard our, our church with our public confessions of faith. The three forms of unity unite us together, unite us together in God's word. But we also do well to remember that there are those who corrupt worship. And if we corrupt worship, Yahweh becomes Lord of battle against idolatry. So we do well to do sola scriptura in worship. Do God's word in worship only. Verse 4. And on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Pinnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. So the Lord has blessed Pinnah, we see, with lots of sons and daughters. Verse 5. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. The Lord has blessed Hannah with the husband's love. Now, as sweet as that sounds, that kind of favoritism in a family doesn't bode well, does it not? And we will see it doesn't. But we also see here that God is sovereign over wombs. It says, though the Lord had closed her womb. Though the Lord had closed her womb. 
In Hebrew, it literally says, Yahweh closed her womb. Now, Yahweh is God's covenantal name. There's something really important happening here. God's name, Yahweh, is God's covenantal name, and it reflects in Scripture God's care, God's blessings to his people. But here, this covenantal God, Yahweh, has taken away from Hannah. He's not given to Hannah, but Yahweh has taken away. In his sovereignty, Yahweh has taken her womb. In verse 6, and her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because Yahweh had closed her womb. Repetition. Repetition is key in the Bible. When you see repetition like this, two phrases, the same phrases in just two verses, right? That's highlighting. That's the Bible say, way of saying, you need to highlight this. This is important. Yahweh has closed her womb. And what's important here is God's sovereignty. Yahweh takes away. And we might be tempted to think this is bad news, right? Yahweh takes away. But it's not bad news. For Yahweh takes away to bless his people. We know Hannah is not the first woman God made barren in Scripture. And God has shown his greatness throughout Scripture through barrenness, right? We have Rebecca, we have Rachel, we have Ruth. And so Hannah's kind of in good company, if you think about it. And she's in good hands because Yahweh has closed her womb. And here's our first sovereignty lesson. Don't trust the taking away. The Lord takes away. And don't trust the taking away. Don't think, oh, God must hate me. That's why I don't have. God hates me. That's why I can't do or I struggle with. No, trust the Lord. The Lord. Yes, he takes away, but trust the Lord. Yahweh, who does what is right. Yahweh, who loves his people even when he takes away. God's taking away is God's love. God's taking away is God's blessing. God's taking away is always God's loving you. Even in chastisement, when the Lord takes away, that's the Lord blessing you. That's the Lord loving you. You may not know how he's loving you through the taking away. Hannah couldn't see it. All she knows is she's barren, and it vexes her heart breaks her heart. But God is always there to bless you even if it looks more like a curse. And here's the second sovereignty lesson. God's grace always starts where it's needed most. God's grace always starts where it's needed most. And God takes away that he might give us something greater in its place. And that is himself.
Now, Hannah's pain didn't end at barrenness. She was also berated at home, and no doubt because of the jealousy. Verse 6, and her rival used to provoke her. You could actually translate that word rival to tormentor. You could literally read, this literally could read, and her tormentor used to provoke her grievously to irritate. Here a rival wife, a tormentor, provocation, irritation. This is enmity between two peoples. Genesis 3.15 the offspring of the serpent, the offspring of the woman, and here we see the seed of the serpent in a godly home. And this enmity caused depression. So she went on, it went on, this enmity went on year by year as often as she went to the house of the Lord. She used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. You ever been depressed, right? It's a good weight loss program. But I don't recommend it. And her husband, here her husband, loved her. And her husband tried to help, verse 8. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Elkanah. And I want to speak... I want to speak, I want to take a moment here seeing Elkanah and his reply to his wife. And I want to take a moment and speak on behalf of all husbands. I want to speak in behalf of husbands everywhere. To you wives and to the wives of the world. As I'm speaking for us husbands. (laughs) Wives, we are sorry. We are sorry every time you were in pain and trouble that we tried to just fix it. We're we're sorry we tried to just fix it when really what you needed from us as husbands was to simply sit down with you, grieve with you, listen to you, hold you. But we open our big mouths and we say, oh, but honey, look on the bright side. At least you have me. (laughs) That's what Elkin is doing here. And so husbands and young men who want to be husbands... When you are married, you must take off your fix-it hat, put it on in the garage and fix the problems in the garage. But when you go home to your wife, take that fix-it off hat and put on your listening cap and listen. That's what she wants. She doesn't want you to fix her. She wants you to know that she can fix herself. But she wants a sympathetic ear. Maybe an encouraging ear. And maybe just your arms around her. So don't underline, don't highlight Elkanah's response. (laughs) That's another lesson. That's not a lesson in sovereignty. That's just a lesson in happily forever after. Just cracks me up when I read that. In verse 9, after he had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose and she knows where to go. Fortunately, her husband wasn't helped, but she knows where to go for her help. She rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting at the seat beside the doorpost of the temple in the Lord. He's guarding, as rightly so, the priest of the Lord guarding the temple. And in her grief, she turns to the Lord. Verse 10, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And here's our third sovereignty lesson. God knows our pain even before we speak. Hannah couldn't even get a word out. 
She's weeping before the Lord. She's not speaking. She's crying before the Lord. But even our tears constitute prayer. Psalm 6, 8 says, For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. God is so big, he hears tears. So big, he hears tears. The Armenian often asks the Reformed Christian who believes in a sovereign God, if God is sovereign, why pray? I think the implication is being we don't need to pray because he's sovereign. But they've given away too much. And we reply, if he isn't sovereign, why pray? You see, the Lord hears prayer. And this is sovereignty lesson four. Turn to the Lord always and especially in sorrow, for there is no other help. There is no other sovereign who can care for you, who can lift you up out of the pit and set your feet on a rock. You need prayer as much as you need breath. And in pain, you need the Lord. He has given you something greater than the taking away. He's giving you himself. And we turn to the Lord. And then she finally got the words to say, verse 11, and she vowed a vow. She began her prayer with a vow. And then we'll see she fulfills it. And remember when I said we're seeing here one of the greatest characters of faithfulness in the Bible? There is no other woman in the Bible, no other woman in the Bible who vows a vow to the Lord and fulfills it. I'm not sure there's many men in the Bible who vow vows to the Lord and fulfill them. She vows a vow to the Lord. And then she says, for the second time, this phrase is used, and it's uttered by Hannah, O Lord of hosts, Yahweh of hosts. And here again, the second time in Scripture, this phrase literally means sovereign God. She's crying out to one the only one who can answer, the only one who can heal, O Lord of hosts, sovereign God. If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son. I love how she's recognizing she's nothing before God. She is helpless. She's a servant. And she will give to this sovereign God. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And who does this? Who in the Bible says, Lord, bless me with something and I will turn around and give it right back to you? I mean, this is faithfulness. You know, most of the godly women in Scripture... When they're without, they try to scheme their way to a promised son. But here's Hannah saying, I will give the gift. If you will only open my womb, who gives their firstborn? But Hannah. And we see Christianity here, where God gives and his people respond. We love because he first loved us. And here we find Sovereignty Lesson 5. Prayer, but patience. She prays and she's patient on the Lord. And patience is the virtue in pain. When the Lord takes away the answer, 
is patience. You come to me for counseling. The Lord has taken away. We'll grieve together. But then my answer to you will be, let's wait patiently on the Lord. And let's trust. It's patience and trust. Let's be patient and trust. And we trust sovereignty. We trust that God holds all creation in his hand. That without his will, no creature can dare even move. And he moves heaven and earth. Yahweh moves heaven and earth for your good. For those who, who love, whom he loves, whom he's called for his purposes. And the Lord answers in his time, which is always the right time. And we trust that timing. So patience and prayer. Prayer. Go to the Lord and be patient and trust. Now, this mother's dedication of her child is not our modern-day baby dedication. This is to the Lord all the days of his life. Who does this? This is one of the greatest characters of faith in Scripture. Her faith is amazing. In pain, she goes right to the house of the Lord, and there's no other woman in the Bible that does this. No other woman in Scripture receives this kind of uh, pain and goes straight to the house of the Lord. She's the only one in the Bible that does that. And her prayer in the second chapter is the longest prayer of a woman in Scripture. And she utters the name Yahweh in that prayer 18 times, more than almost any other person in all of the Bible. As I said, other godly women scheme their way to the promised child. She promises to give away her firstborn. To give away her greatest gift. Who does this? Just one of the most faithful Christians in the Bible. Hannah. In verse 12. And as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved. Her voice was not heard. And Eli's doing, doing his job. He's guarding the sanctuary from desecration. And that's all well and good. But we're going to see he's not doing a very good job. He, really, it's contrasting. Eli is being contrasted with Hannah. Hannah's a woman of substance. We are seeing a woman of substance. But this Eli... He's not very wise, we're going to see. He's not wise here. He's not discerning. I mean, he can't tell between a broken-hearted woman and a drunk woman. And notice the text, he's observing outwardly. He observed her mouth. But she's praying in her, in her heart. There's a contrast here between a woman of substance and a priest not worth his weight in gold. And then he foolishly rebukes her, verse 14. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put away your wine from you. He watched lips instead of perceiving hearts. And she responded, I'm not drunk. But answer, Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Hannah was not consumed with alcohol. She was consumed with agony. And fortunately, Eli, he, he kind of wakes up to the issue, thankfully. And he lifts her pain by blessing her. Verse 17, and Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And this revives her soul. The words of this minister revive her soul. Verse 18, and she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away on her went on her way and ate. She's no longer depressed. She's been revived in the Lord. 
and her face was no longer sad. And here's the sixth lesson on sovereignty. You need the means of grace. Worship is for weak and needy sinners. Grace starts where it's needed most. You see, Christianity is not a religion of good people getting better. It is a religion of needy people who need, we need a sovereign, gracious God who meets us where we're at, where, we're, where, we're, where our greatest need is. You see, Christ is given to us not because of our, not because we're awesome. <laughs> Christ is given to us because of our weakness. Christ is given to us because of our failures in order to increase our faith by feeding us on the body and blood of Christ. Worship is a feast of grace. And we are feasting on God's word. We're feasting on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God is reviving us. So come, needy sinners. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Verse 19. And they rose early in the morning. And they worshiped before the Lord. And they went back to the house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew his wife, knew Hannah, his wife. And the Lord remembered her. And here we see the Lord gives, a, the Lord gives. Yahweh takes, but Yahweh gives. The verb remembered is a powerful word in the Bible. Anytime you see that word, when, God, when Yahweh's doing the remembering, then something, redemptive history is about to change. <laughs> God's doing something, something powerful when Yahweh remembers. Yahweh remembered Noah, delivered his family, right? Yahweh remembered Abraham, delivered the Israelites from the Egyptians. Now Yahweh remembers Hannah. And he's doing something powerful through this woman to the, for the nation. Remember, Yahweh works for his people, not just for Hannah. And he gives her Samuel. Samuel means from God. He is from God. That's what Samuel's name means. He is from, from, from God. From God to bless his people, a kingmaker. To crown his people a king. To lead his people in righteousness. But we're not there yet. We're simply here with Hannah, a simple wife, mother, fulfilling her vow. Verse 22. She says, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear, appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. And she's faithful. Verse 24. And when she had weaned him, she took him up. And she takes all these other things to sacrifice, to give to the Lord, to give glory to the Lord. God had given Hannah a child. But her greatest act of worship is obedience. Verse 28. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And this is the seventh lesson of sovereignty. And it's gratitude. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. And our response as a Christian, no matter what, the Lord gives or the Lord takes away, is always the same. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that is our response to 
give glory to the Lord. You see, worship is the chief means of gratitude. We give God our thankfulness in Christian life through worship, prayer. It's Christianity 101. We love, why? Here we go. Because he first loved us. We love because he first, the Lord gives and we respond with thankfulness. The Lord gives grace and we respond with gratitude. Gratitude is the Christian life. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And here's our final sovereignty lesson. His steadfast love endures forever only through Jesus Christ. Just as Hannah vow, Hannah's vow saved the Israelites by giving them a kingmaker, Christ's vow, Christ's vow has saved us eternally by giving his life. You see, Hannah is a type of Christ. Where we see the necessity of faithfulness. And her faithfulness redeems Israel by giving them Samuel, who will give them a king. But we are redeemed not by our own faithfulness, not of works, lest any man should boast. But by grace you have been saved. And grace starts right where it's needed the most. So Christ gave his own life. He gave us the cross to free us from our sins, to take away our sins. And he rose again from the dead to take away our death. But we die. Yeah, I guess. We go to sleep. I like Paul's language, right? You see, the Christian's death is merely a dying to sin once and for all. That's all that happens for the Christian when he dies. He is dying to sin once and for all. And he is entering into that eternal rest. When we die, we go to be with the Lord in that festive gathering. And we die to go to surround Yahweh, Lord of hosts, and to worship and praise his holy name forever. And that eternal Sabbath begins today. So let us give God acceptable worship. And even after church, Christ is still King of Kings. And all this week, you'll need his help. All this week, you'll have troubles and trials and tribulations. You will need prayer. And you don't need to be patient. And you will wait for the Lord. And if he takes away, you'll trust. And when he gives, you'll be thankful. So let us be patient and trust Yahweh. His steadfast love endures forever. Let us offer our lives as a sacrifice of praise, which is our reasonable Christian service. And now to the King, eternally mortal, invisible, be glory now and forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.